All right. Well, there's a question that I really don't like. Uh, and you can ask me. It's fine. It's not. I'm not offended in any shape, way, shape, or form. But it's a really hard question for me to answer. Usually, I can run my mouth about just about anything. But then when you go and ask me the question, what is your favorite fill in the blank? Really doesn't matter what you say after that. Ellian just raised her hand. She agrees with me. Um, it's, it's this hard thing for me to pin down. Like, for example, I really used to work at a video store. Y'all know that. And I really enjoyed working at the video store and enjoy movies and all this kind of stuff. And you'd say, what is your favorite movie? I go, I don't know. I like a lot of movies a lot. And I start like quantifying this in my head. Are we talking about like my favorite movie to watch over and over again? Because there's a lot of those that I really enjoy just for fun, throwing on because it's entertaining, but they're not really that good of movies. And can I honestly say that's my favorite movie? No. But at the same time, one of my favorite movies, one of the ones that comes to mind to be in that category is this movie called Life is Beautiful. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, Tessa made me watch it, um, which I'm thankful she did. Um, because it's in Italian and therefore subtitled. So, you know, there's makes it a little challenging to rewatch. And, and but at the same time, it's also like about World War Two and uh, this Jewish family who gets taken off to these camps. And it's kind of heavy content matter. But it's also one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen because it's really about this dad protecting his son through this mess. And trying to make him feel like it's some sort of competition and game he's in and trying to keep everything's lighthearted and beautiful despite the horrible circumstances where they're facing. It's just such an incredibly beautiful movie, but not one you just want to throw on and watch for fun all the time, right? And so I look at all that and I say, I don't know. It's hard to pick. I got all these different kind of caveats and questions and, and different things that you, you'd ask me about board games. I'd say the same thing. Like, I don't know. It depends on what I've played a lot lately. I got all these reasons why it's hard for me to pick a favorite. And then you say to someone, you ask someone else that question, and you throw in this different category, what is your favorite book? Right? You're asking somebody that question, and then gotten a response like this. Well, aside from the Bible here, because I feel obligated as a Christian or a believer to say the Bible first, because it's a book, right? Obviously the Bible, but other than that, because I'd be in the same boat, right? Well, there's this book series I really like. I obviously love the Bible because I went to you know Bible school to learn about it and preach about it every week and spend a lot of time with it and have read it and reread it and reread it and reread it more than any other book I've ever even come close to picking up, right? I love God's Word. When we talk about, is it our favorite? It, we might get into that spot of all those caveats. It's hard to like something as your favorite enjoy something as your most uh, favorite or what you want or need the most. It's one of those things where you have reasons for appreciating the Bible. For some of us, it's the thing that we feel like we need because we need the rules. It's one of those things that it's a guideline for us. It's like, I need to understand what I'm supposed to do, but that doesn't make me necessarily love and enjoy it. I need to be in it to understand, to grasp what it's teaching me, but I don't necessarily love it. For some of us, we might say, well, it depends on which part you're talking about, because there's a lot of different books in the book. And some of them I like a lot because they have really good stories. And I've learned those stories since I was a little kid. And I can tell you about those stories, or at least the parts they taught me in Sunday school. Because again, we've talked about this with Jonah in the past. We learned the first three chapters and ignored chapter four, which is kind of the important part of the story. Um, 
And we talk about, like, I love these narratives and these stories, but if you want me to read Leviticus or Numbers, I don't know. I've been reading Jeremiah and Isaiah lately. And I go, there's a lot of repetitive kind of tone to this. I like what's being said. I like what's going on. I like some of the promise of hope that's to come, but it's hard for me to stay dialed in and focused. So, of course, it's my favorite. But why? Do I really love it? Am I passionate about it? Or is it that caveat answer? Well, of course, like I care about this book and know I'm supposed to like it. Know I'm supposed to value it, but really have a hard time dealing with it. And really, I'd rather just go read this novel that I really enjoy today. Anybody? Or just not read it all. Give me the movie, right? Give me the chosen app. That's the, that's the abbreviated version, right? That's the part I need. Yeah. Today, we're talking about scripture. And it's interesting, our memory verse in Core 52 is this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may, or the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right? So Paul is writing to Timothy. We talked about this last week because last week's verse was from Timothy, as we talked about what it means to be a mentor, or better yet, an apprentice or disciple and how Paul is pouring into Timothy. He's encouraging him here, and he says, listen, scriptures are important, right? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. I find it interesting still to this day and wonder how Paul would feel about this letter he's writing to Timothy being used to talk about how this letter he's writing to Timothy is inspired by God and God breathed, right? You ever thought about that for a second? Like Paul's writing a letter to his apprentice, mentor, whatever you want to call him, or a kid he's mentoring, and he is writing that all Scripture is God-breathed and inspired, and we have put it into the book as part of the canon to say, I wonder how Paul would feel about that. But it's one of those moments where it kind of makes us stop and think. When we discuss Scripture, how do we talk about it? How do we handle it? How do we view it? How do we approach it? Because it's kind of tricky. There's some of these books that are letters. I, I pulled up this picture off the internet uh, because I had a bookmark that was in my Bible when I was a kid. It looked something like this, right? Anybody else have something like this at one point or another? This is the books of the Bible set up on a little bookshelf. I know it's hard to see. Uh, but over here, we've got up at the top, um, the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And then we get history, which is kind of like Joshua down the line through here. And then we eventually get to Job, which is more poetry. And then we get to the major prophets, which is what I said I've been reading lately, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then the minor prophets, which are all those short little books that also are prophecy and kind of the prophetic words being spoken to um, God's people during different eras and different periods of time, whether it be before the exile or during the exile or after the exile. It's kind of different timing for a lot of them. Then we get into the New Testament, the Gospels, church history. And then you notice all these blue books right here are letters, letters that early church leaders were writing to other churches, mostly Paul, to be honest. A lot of those are from Paul. And then we get this one last little green book down here in the corner that's labeled prophecy, but I personally I would say the appropriate tag for that is apocalyptic literature because I want us to understand that apocalyptic literature and what that book is, 
is something we have no comparison to in our literary. Like if you go to the library and say, where's the apocalyptic literature section? You're going to be like, it's in the back of the Bible and, that, and Daniel a little bit. And that's kind of it. And that genre of writing, we don't have any kind of comparison to really. And so we look at that bookshelf and we see all these different pieces. And like I said, there's letters and there's poetry. Like when I come to the book of Psalms and I read these beautiful texts and these beautiful things, when I sit down to read, how do I, what's the mindset I carry into that? What is the, the way I read those? Some of us, it's like I kind of zone out and read it and don't fully understand it. And I'm not really sure what to do with it. And so, cool. Oh, this part. I know this one. This one's familiar. I like this. Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. And this one feels good. And it gives us a sense of refreshing. But then I get to another one where it's kind of like, no, 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 no. Really, the heart of what I want to say today is we kind of come down this home stretch. We talked last week about the idea of just needing to be one chapter ahead as we lead, as we mentor, as we pour into other people, as we make disciples. But one of the biggest hangups for us in terms of being disciple makers, in terms of being followers of Jesus, is we just don't know what to do with this book sometimes. I, I, I feel like there's little bits of it we teach and talk about, and I come in here every week and kind of open up a certain book, and I try my best to make sure that we are speaking in context of what's going on. That's why I'm telling you this is Paul writing to Timothy as we discuss this memory verse, this key passage. But sometimes we can just take the words of a verse and say, how does that apply in my culture, in my time, in my understanding? How can I take these rules and these guidelines and these things, these truths, these laws, what do I do with the laws of Leviticus? And I'm just a little overwhelmed, right? And so that's why we come in here and we sit and say, Nick, please teach us what this is about. Because I've been trying to read it and I don't understand, or I don't grasp. Or sometimes we've heard someone else teach it, and they've twisted it into a corner that it was never meant to be in. Over the course of my life, if I had a dollar for every teaching that I'd heard over and over and over again, and then went off to Bible college or some other study along the way and went, wait a second, that Greek word doesn't mean that at all, or that's really twisting that out of context, or Ooh, that has nothing to do with what that was said, that's kind of dangerous to talk about that that way. Yikes. And it wasn't that anybody was malicious or trying to do the wrong thing. Sometimes we just regurgitate what we've been told. And so today I want to talk just a little bit about what does this mean? The idea that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Because that's the goal, right? What Paul's really trying to communicate to Timothy is, I want you to be able to use God's word and the, the totality of the scriptures and these stories, understand them in a healthy and good way so that we can gain as much from them as possible so we can be the people God is trying to call us to be so that we can continue to do the good work he has called us to. So where do we start? Part of it is looking at it this way. There are, like I said, with the caveats for film, there's kind of different ways we view that. Is this a book I want to read over and over again? Is this one I'm going to stay away from? I heard a guy one time tell me, we were having a conversation about our kids. He's like, oh, I don't let my kids read the Old Testament. I was like, okay. He goes, I don't need to read the Old Testament. There's some messed up stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. 
You're not wrong, but I don't know that it's good to just avoid the parts we don't like or are uncomfortable with or not sure about and stick to just the good parts, you know? It's like, it's kind of like the good film that has a lot to teach us, but is hard to watch. Sometimes there's a lot to be had there, but it's hard to get through. We can't just stick to the parts that make us feel good, that we're happy to put on repeat because we miss the big picture. And I think one of the biggest ways we miss the big picture is coming at it from any one angle saying, now, what am I trying to do today? When I come to scripture, the first question is, what is my motivation? Am I trying to find the answers so that I can make sure I'm doing the right thing so I don't go to hell? We've talked about that mentality in here before, right? If I'm only ever approaching God's word for the sake of saving my own skin, is that healthier? Is that good? Because ultimately, it says right there, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, equipped and ready to do something, not just go to heaven, not just so you can follow the rules well enough to get by so you squeak in by the skin of your teeth, which is what most of us feel like we're doing anyway, right? But so that you can be equipped for every good work to serve the kingdom, to do the things God's called us to. I don't think it's probably healthy to come at it and say, all right, God, I need you to teach me how to do the right thing today so I don't mess up quite as much as I did yesterday. Do I think the desire to grow is healthy and important? Absolutely. It should always be our heart to want to improve, to do better, to understand God's truth and his word more completely. But not just about finding what laws or what rules I missed last time. It's also not good for us to walk into God's word saying, you know what, these people out here in this world have been trying to tell me that this is the way it is, and this is the way it is, and this is the way it is. And all of a sudden, I just read this verse, and ha, look at there, right there. I got you. I'm just going to tell you this, and I'm going to be as honest and blunt as I can. When you are having a conversation with someone who doesn't hold God's word as valuable and truthful, which are people who don't follow Jesus, they they may not see the value in God's word. And we say, but all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. And the book that you're trying to say is true says that. Congratulations. Do you have any other backing or evidence for that? They don't care that that verse is there, right? And when you go, aha, I got them now. They don't care. You're not winning any arguments, right? Can we be clear on this? This evidence is not changing that person's mind. And nor was it made to be a weapon. It is meant to be a weapon. So let's back up for a second. It's not be a, meant to be a weapon to attack your neighbor or your friend. It says that it's sharper than any double-edged sword, right? It says it cuts to the heart. It's not supposed to cut through your enemy unless you understand that your true enemy is not flesh and blood. That your true enemy is the evil in the world, the darkness in the world, the lies and the lack of truth, the lack of love, the lack of joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the things that are opposite of who God is and his goodness. That is what we're trying to cut through the heart of, right? And more importantly, when scripture is sharper than any double-edged sword cutting straight to the heart, it's meant to be cutting through your heart softening your heart, changing the way you see and the way you trust and the way you hold on to and the way you follow and the way you obey. But here's the tricky part. It is hard for us when we are just looking for the 
apologetic answer. You've heard that term, it's apologetics. You, you say evolution is true, but I'm going to have the apologetics answer, all the reasons why scripture and history and science and all these things point back to God. We try to really invest in apologetics so we can win that next debate that comes up with that person who wants to tell us this is crazy. When we just are seeking answers for the sake of apologetics so we are smarter and wiser, that is not what Scripture meant when it said, always be prepared to have an answer. Because it follows up that line and statement by saying, always be prepared to have an answer for the hope you have. Not an answer as to why that person's crazy and wrong, but be prepared to give reason and answer for why you have the hope that you have. You see, the Bible is a compilation of a lot of different types of writing. And it was written to a very different group of people than you and I. It wasn't specifically written with Nick DeFore in mind. It was writing primarily to a very early Jewish culture, right? Eventually, more so, we added in some Gentiles into the mix, right? But primarily, a lot of this was written to a very different group of people. And that does not mean that God's truth is not in it. I believe what Paul is saying here. God is inspired, and he has led, and he has guided these words so that they can make an impact today. But what I have to understand is this collection of writings was written by God's people with God's leading and instruction, with the leading of the Holy Spirit over the course of time to help instruct his people on how to follow him, not by saying, here's all the guidelines, although those exist up there in the law, there are some of those guidelines, but those books of law are still really very much so written as a narrative of how God was giving the law to his people, right? how he was instructing them, how he was calling them to follow and be in relationship. And they kind of kept forgetting and moving on their own way. And then there's all these other stories and the prophets and all these moments where he's saying, come back, I'm giving you other opportunities. I'm telling you, you're going to be in exile for 70 years is what I've been reading lately. And if we take things out of context, we miss the bigger picture. We just hold on to little nuggets that feel good. We miss the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is beautiful. When we read Scripture as one continuous story of God calling out to His people and saying, I love you, I created you in my image to serve alongside of me, to subdue and have dominion over this place so that we can build something beautiful together to work in my kingdom. That's what I've designed you for. That's what I've created you for. That's what I've called you for and you keep turning from me and choosing your own way and running away, not wanting to be in partnership in this covenant relationship that I've called you to. You keep doing your own thing, but it's okay. I know you're running away, but I'm going to provide a way back. And I've got a really big plan for how to bring you back. And the rest of this story is we kind of work our way through these books. It's, it's kind of like a good series that you get wrapped up in. You get Wrapped up series are kind of the cool thing these days, right? We had like back in the day, J.R. Tolkien makes like the, the Lord of the Rings series. We've got these books and after you read the first one, you got to find out what happens to Frodo and the ring, right? So you really don't because man, there's a lot of trees in that book. But anyway, it's my own personal opinion for the moment. I love J.R. Tolkien, don't get me wrong, but man, that book's hard to read. But all that said, you get through and you have these moments where you see this story playing out and you want to pick up the next book and you want to pick up the next book or 
get the next movie when it comes out, right? And so in the midst of following the story, we realize these books are doing the same sort of thing. This is God's story throughout the history of the world, throughout the history of creation, how he is interacting with us, how he is calling us back to him. And it comes through all of this time, and we get to this place where Jesus comes, and he dies on the cross, he sacrifices himself, and says, go, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, and see what happens. We read the book of Acts not that long ago. Was, you know, we were kind of wrapping that up this time last year. If you remember, I know it's been a minute ago. But he's calling the people to go participate and do and be a part of these things. And it's this beautiful picture of how we've been called into this story to continue the work that was started because there's no longer any separation. He's fulfilled this beautiful plan of Jesus and the sacrifice of his son and all this amazing stuff that he's given us. And he's saying, you're invited to be a part of this. And a lot of these blue books are writings from those early leaders who had had contact in ways that we wish we had with Jesus, right? And they are passing on their knowledge, kind of discipling, mentoring the church to say, here's how we proceed to the best of our ability. Here's how we do our best to follow the Spirit, to implement what God has taught us to do, what he's called us to do, to share in the work that his word has been preparing us for. All throughout this story, we've been able to see God's heart. How he calls his people to trust and follow. How he's called us to be a part and engaged in these things. How he's interacted with us, how he's not interacted with us, how he's had patience, when he's had patience, why he's had patience. We see the character of God all over the pages. If we are reading the book, just trying to find answers to the test, we're missing the point. Elia has a shirt. Sorry, I just thought of this and I'm going to share it. Elia has a shirt that says, I'm, uh, say it, what is it? Yeah. I'm emotionally attached to fictional characters. That's what it says. She worked on the first day of school because Elia, if you don't know, loves books and reads a lot of them. And she is very attached to her fictional characters. She gets very passionate about her reading. You see, She's reading these stories and getting caught up in this world and really attached to these characters. And that's great and wonderful. I love that. But what if when we read Scripture, we were finding ourselves emotionally attached to the main character of the story? Actually falling in love with the person of Jesus. Actually falling in love with God and His character, who He is. Not seeking to have all the answers, but being with becoming like and starting to follow through on the things we've been called to do in God's presence and in his spirit and the things he's taught us to do. When we approach God's word, understanding that all of these stories, all of these texts come at this from different angles, say different things, offer us different truths, being very careful not to take them out of the context of what they're being said, not to make them say things they were never meant to say. Just a simple little example. I'm not being mean when I say this. I'm just saying this one that was fresh on my mind because I just read it a day or two ago. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Anybody know it right off the top of their head? Right. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Right? We know that. Why? Because come May, it's everywhere. Right? When people are graduating from college or school, we put it on little plaques and little cards and little things. It is very specifically a letter being written to a man who's about to go into exile. And God is saying, I'm not going to leave you in exile forever because I have specific plans for you, my people. 
And we treat it as like this, God's got great things in store for every college student ever. And that's kind of how we treat that passage. And it's why we know it buried in the middle of Jeremiah, which we oftentimes know very little about, right? And we pick and choose what we know and understand because we want to feel uplifted. We want to feel these things and we miss the opportunity to fall in love with the main character of the story. Who would promise in the book of Jeremiah that you are going into exile because you all have straight up ignored me. You've turned from me time and time again, and I can't just let your adulterous attitudes go unpunished. And so Nebuchadnezzar and these people are going to come in and they're going to overtake you. And you're going to lose. And you're going to go off under the control of someone else. I am going to withdraw my protection and let be what may be. But it's all part of what I see in the bigger picture because it's going to be for about 70 years and then guess what? I'm going to return you back to this place. There is hope in the middle of the story. And what we can learn from that passage is God promises to be with us even in our failures and when we ignore him. That when you go off to college and ignore (laughs) and do your own thing and forget he exists for a few minutes, he's still going to faithfully be walking with you, right? That doesn't mean go do whatever you want. But just know God's not going to give up on you because he wants you to be walking alongside of him, participating in his work, being in close relationship. It's a beautiful story and a beautiful picture. We put it in context just as much as when we put it on the cutesy plaque. So when we approach scripture, when we start talking about God's word, which is incredibly important to do, we have to make sure we are coming at it to learn about a God that we are supposed to love and care for and see the beauty in his character and understand him, not just his rules for us. Because I promise you, the more you understand him, the more his rules for you make sense. The more his guidance and direction starts to take shape, the better it seems. David writes about how good is your law, how good is your instruction. And there are times where I go, I don't know, I read this over here and it doesn't feel real good. But the more I know you, the more I trust you, the more you have proven yourself to be faithful and good, the more I will follow you wherever you lead. And the more my life will demonstrate your character. And the more my life demonstrates your character and I look like you, I might find it easier to attract other people into the kind of relationship that you, Jesus, attracted people into. I won't have to beat them over the head with all the right answers and say, no, look, look, I got all the right answers. Trust me, it's it's right here. Because our life will be producing fruit that demonstrates the goodness of who he is without ever having to speak a word. Does that make sense? Jesus spoke plenty of words. He taught plenty of truth. But man, I guarantee a lot of people wanted to follow him long before they heard him teach. Because he cared for people no one else seemed to care for did things for people that no one else would even associate with. That guy seems to be doing something incredible that I want to be a part of. I say all that because I think it's important for us to come to Scripture for the right reasons, to realize why it's our favorite, not because this book is in and of itself crafted in a way that becomes just my favorite book, but because the main character, the person behind it, is by far my favorite. Someone I love, and care about, and want to emulate, and want to be like. Make sense? 
Once we understand that, there's a couple quick things, just real fast, I want to say. When we approach God's Word, there's a lot of other things that happen. We try to come at it by ourselves, and that's when we get lost, right? We sit there and we go, I don't understand this. And if I ask somebody, they may go, oh, that's easy. You should have known this. And I'm going to feel dumb, right? We get insecure. We get nervous. We get scared about this. There's a really short little clip I want to show you from the Bible Project, because, you know, Bible Project, about understanding the early practices of the church and things that were important um, to the early church. And just watch this clip for a couple minutes. Share that. Because we oftentimes think, I've really got to work hard to study the Bible, and I've got to spend this quiet time falling in love with Him. But I'll be honest, some of the most incredible times of growth in my life, where I became most enamored with God's Word, was when I was reading with other people, and studying with other people, and sharing with other people. And we were all coming back into that space Every time we gathered, sharing the new things we had discovered and then reading it together and discussing it together. And I may have seen this, but that sparked somebody else to think this and realize this. And that makes us nervous. Because he says right there in that passage, right? Public reading of scripture to exhortation and to teaching. Exhortation and teaching is still important, right? Correction is still important. All those things are still important. But like we talked about last week, we sometimes think it takes the Bible expert to teach a class, and I'm not the Bible expert, so I can't do anything to help lead other people in God's Word. And that is simply not the way the church practiced. Josiah was not an expert in the Word, but when he discovered it, he made sure it was read aloud so the people could hear and grow from it and, ex and, and get excited about it, and it brought about some change for a time, Right? Reading that together and letting the conversation flow out. Those early moments in the synagogue where Jesus is reading from the scroll of Isaiah and it's shared and then discussion would take place following. That is extremely important. And here's the thing I promise you. My cell phone number, right, is in the bulletin if you didn't know that. You are welcome to text it, okay? I may take a minute to get back to you. You're welcome to text it. There are a few of you who already know this and practice this and I absolutely love it. I've been reading this with some friends and we came across this question, can you help me? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be me. It's just anybody else who you think might have the answer. Anybody else who you feel is a chapter ahead. Reading together, studying together is incredibly important. But part of that is fueled by that time you spend alone. I think both and are very important. We have access to God's word, thankfully, because of where we've come from. It used to be kind of one of those things that was held back in a different language. So the common people couldn't hold on to it. And early church fathers said, that's not okay. And people lost their lives trying to put the word of God into other people's hands in a way they could read it and understand it. And as we try to open it up and study it, it is overwhelming. And there are times we're not sure what to do. This is just a little resource. You see me use the Bible Project videos a lot. I really respect the work that they do the time and the energy they put into it. I've listened to their podcasts and hear the way they break down scripture. They do a really good job. They have this incredible app. I know this is hard to see and read, but you can get it right there. If you're watching online, that logo looks orange. It's actually blue. Um, I don't know why that color is messed up. We'll fix it, but just a couple quick things of what they say. You can explore the entire video library. All these videos I show, they have all of them in that app. 
save your uh, favorites and track what you watch. You can also go deeper with their podcast, which trust me, if you want to go deeper, they go deeper. There are times I walk away from that podcast going, whoa. Like my, I spent a lot of time in Bible college and no one ever brought that up. And that's really deep thought that no one ever scratched the surface of. And wow, that's good. Maybe a little overwhelming at times, but goodness, if you want to go deeper, that's a great resource. Read scripture in connected movements. This is one of the things I love about this app and why I think it's an incredible resource. They're not just teaching you like, hey, here's a reading plan. Good luck. They're helping you understand how all these connections and movements and these beautiful books work together as one tapestry and give you resources to wrestle through that and see how things are connected. You can discover patterns and collect things that like connect the dots a little bit and really help you see the unfolding of these common themes that exist. There's lots of stuff there and I don't work for them. I'm not getting paid by them. I just believe in this resource and use it myself and have benefit, benefited from it greatly and feel like it's very accessible. I love those videos because that little bit of animation and the simple way they explain it is beautiful, but there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Of how did we get there and how can you feel comfortable reading to? Scripture is incredibly important. It is God's gift to us so we can understand his heart. God's word calls Jesus God's word made flesh. Jesus living a life so we can understand and see and know him. God put on flesh, living out his character and his personality for us to see. The combination of these things is so important if we want to follow him, but we have to hold on to this truth. We are seeking to know God, not just answers and quiz questions. This should become our favorite because it is attached to a God we love with all of our heart. And every page we read helps us see how good and how wonderful and how marvelous he is. It should be a pursuit of him. We should not pursue that alone solely, right? We should absolutely pursue that alone in our own time, in our own lives. But that should extend beyond that. It goes to the community where we are supposed to read these things together and wrestle together and chase after him and know him together. When it comes to scripture, we are pursuing our God and his heart and what he has in store for us so that man or woman, I'm just going to say, that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work so that his followers may be ready and equipped for everything he has in store for them. It's our desire to know him and be prepared to do the things he does so that we can fulfill that ultimate desire in the very beginning to work alongside of him, to work in partnership and in covenant relationship with him so that we can subdue and have dominion over it and bring about the goodness in this world that he desires from you. Bow your heads with me if you would. All of us know in this room this morning, no matter how much time we spend in God's word, that there's more about him there's further we'd like to walk in that relationship with him. There's more we'd like to understand about the big picture of his word and what it really says and what it really means and how it's really speaking to us. We all have room to grow. There is no expert in this room that is finished with this journey. And each of us know we could be investing a little bit more of our energy into this gift God has given us. 
And so I just encourage you for just a moment, take a moment of silence here, just to pray and say, God, what is holding me back? What excuses am I making for not picking up your word, for not spending time with others in your word, for not pursuing you in this way? What's holding me back? Can you reveal that to my heart this morning? Father, I... I love you and I love your word. And I remember those early days of my life where I started to realize just how beautiful your word was, how interwoven the stories were, how many themes and movements there were that connected together and just how amazing it was. But I still find myself on days feeling beat down or short on energy or wanting to do something else and just struggling. And so, Father, I pray your peace over each one of us. That as we get bogged down, as we get tired, as we run from one spot to the other, that you would help us to see why it is so important to latch on to you, to latch on to the goodness of the truth of your word, why it's so important to be remain rooted and grounded and established in your word and in relationship with you. And so, Father, I just pray right now for each and every person in this room that you would help us to pour our heart and life and energy as much as we can muster to realizing this is important and it's going to take effort on our part. I pray that you would help us overcome the enemy when the enemy tells us there's something else we'd rather be doing or something else we should be doing or something else we could be doing with our time or that you just don't know enough to understand, so why bother or try? Father, I pray that you would help us to stand up against the attacks of the real enemy and fall in love with you and your word and make it a priority for each of us to pursue it, not just in our own time, but to spend the extra time investing in it with others. Father, sometimes we are good at community. We're going to go have a picnic later today, and it's going to be wonderful to laugh and celebrate and spend time together. But that's not the same as reading your word together. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand that that energy and effort that you've called us to remember and to be reminded of is not just here on Sunday mornings in the teaching part. And it's not just in the fellowship of laughing together, but, Father, it is in the deep conversations where we spur one another on towards work and good deeds. So help us to be who you've called us to be. Help us to be your people. I love you. I trust you. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.